0: And if you're staying in here, you can turn to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. This will be our last sermon in the book of Ruth through this series. It's been a good one so far. I've really loved to preach this book. It's been um, exciting and fun to preach. And I'm really looking forward to what God's going to do through this last sermon Remember, the book of Ruth is this tiny little book, obscure in the Old Testament, but it has this big story about what God does. We saw in Ruth chapter 1, God's sovereignty in our sorrow. Remember, we had this lady, Naomi, who went with her husband to this foreign country, and she lost her husband and her two sons, and she returns back to Israel, broken hearted, in sorrow, but having a, a woman in her care named Ruth. And we saw that in chapter 2, out of this brokenheartedness, we saw that God has a passion for those who are brokenhearted, poor, weak, vulnerable. In Boaz, Boaz was this kind man that took uh, allowed Ruth to come and work in his fields, and he showered all kinds of blessing. And, and we learned that word, that Hebrew word hesed, this love, this uh, faithful love. He showed all kinds of kindness to Ruth and to Naomi, in um, giving them food and taking care of that problem. Third, we got to see Ruth chapter 3. Where Ruth boldly and audaciously approaches Boaz and asks him to marry her. More specifically, that he would redeem her. Redemption was that right and that responsibility that a, a family member would have to take care of the property and the posterity of a deceased man. So Boaz willingly and affectionately agrees to this daring request that Ruth made. But he tells her of a problem. And what was that problem? There's another guy, right? That was a cliffhanger from episode three, uh, from last week's episode. And so we take up uh, this morning to realize that Booth Boaz says that there's another person that's ahead of him in this line to redeem Ruth. Uh, in, in this line, and this other guy is in some sense just messing up this love story that we're trying to see here in the book of Ruth. And so we're going to pick up in that story this morning. We're going to pick up right there in the middle of that. But before we do, I wondered, I wondered if you've ever played one of those games. Have you ever played one of those games where they'll, they'll show something on the screen and it's maybe you've seen it on a. a uh, Game show or something where they show you a picture zoomed in at like ten times magnification, and, and, and you see it, and it just you're like, I have no clue what that is. It looks like uh, uh, maybe a, a field of grass or whatever, and you zoom out, and it's a football, uh, a football, right? Or you zoom in really close, and it's just all pink, and you zoom out, and, and, and it's a pig. And like you, you see this amazing picture really, really close up front. And you think, oh, that's, that's kind of a cool picture. But then you zoom out to realize, oh, wow, there's something bigger going on that we didn't get to see. I think that's what we're going to see in the book of Ruth as a whole, especially today. There's this amazing story that's happening right in front of us. We're up close. We're, we're like in the middle of Ruth and Boaz's life. But then we're going to zoom out at the end of the sermon to see really what's going on and how this uh, impacts not just Ruth and Boaz but the nation of Israel and even us today. So let's dig in. Let's dig in. So in Ruth chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And in Ruth chapter 4, 1 through 6, we're going to see, number one, a reluctant redeemer. A reluctant redeemer. A reluctant redeemer. Let's read verses 1 through 6. It says this, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down, uh, there And behold, the redeemer of whom Bo- Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down and he took the 10 men from the elders of the city and said to them, sit down here. So they sat down. Down. As we pause there, we realize the city gates was kind of the town center uh, for these ancient cities, right? They would probably wall off most of the city and only have a few ways in for protection. So the city gate was kind of like the town square. It's where everybody went to sit down. So for us, it'd be, like I said, like the town square or maybe the Walmart parking lot. Everybody in town is going to pass through there at some point. So maybe you just go and you sit in front of the doors at Walmart waiting for this person to come in. And lo and behold, the guy that Boaz is looking for happens to come through the gate. And he says, hey, friend, come over and sit down. So Boaz and the friend... And the group of ten men sit down for what I'm sure was a stressful meeting for Boaz. He doesn't know what's gonna happen. He knows that he wants to redeem Ruth and take her in as his wife, but there's this other guy. I'm sure it's maybe similar to that situation where you go and you sit down um, to ask for your 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 wife's hand in marriage from her father. It's it's stressful. You're going into the meeting like, I wanna do this, but I kind of don't want to do this because I'm super nervous, even though likely that he's gonna say yes. It's just this weird nervousness that happens. So I think that's probably what Boaz is going through here. This nervousness. He's sitting down with these 10 guys. But we see Boaz's integrity in this picture. We see Boaz's integrity because he's going through the proper channels. He wants to do what is right. So he's sitting down, going to the person he needs to talk to. Sometimes... Tough, hard situations and conversations just have to happen, right? That's just what we have to do in life. I'm sure Boaz wanted to skip this, maybe go elope, just ignore the whole thing. But he sits down to do the difficult thing. So we see Boaz's integrity, but I think we also see Boaz's shrewdness. I think he's kind of wise in how he does this. So let's pick back up in verse uh, 3. It says this, Then Boaz said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. I will redeem it. Or, or, so if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said... I will redeem it. So Boaz says, "Hey, uh, you know that par- that parcel of land that belonged to our cousin, Limelech? Yeah, Naomi's wanting to get rid of that. She needs to sell it. Um, take care of herself. So, do you want to redeem it? You're the first in line." And the guy says, "Yes, I'll redeem it. Right, I'll take it. Right. Maybe he had this idea of." starting a new business, right? Open up a new farm, a new field. I'll put my farm there. Maybe he said, I want to build a new house there. Maybe he's wanting to put a nine hole golf course. And I don't know what his plans are, but he's like, yes, I will take that land and I will redeem it. And all of us are like, oh man, he wasn't supposed to say yes. Right. And Boaz probably felt that same thing. Like, man, he wants to redeem it. So the meeting's over. Everyone's getting up. Okay, great. The grant lands off. They start to walk off. But then Boaz says, oh, wait a second. There's something else. There's something else to tell you. So verse five says this. And Boaz said, oh, by the way, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name Of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So Boaz says, Hey, you want to buy the field? Guy says, Sure, I'll buy that field, but you also get the widow that comes with it. And he's like, I cannot do that. I'm not willing to do that. So, we see this reluctant redeemer, this guy that was ahead of Boaz, was unwilling to take Ruth as his wife. He saw it and said, it's too much for me. He's, he gives us reason. He says, I don't want to impair my inheritance. He probably had other children that if he married Ruth, one of that responsibility of marrying her was to bring a child into that family and, and raise them and st- Give him an inheritance. So could you imagine you've raised two or three kids that are 16, 18, 20 years old. They're about to get married. And what you're going to tell them is, hey, by the way, I need to split your inheritance with this random Moabite woman's kid. That's probably not going to go over well. This guy's probably trying to be a wise dude and say, you know what? That's just too sticky of a situation. I don't want to get into that. You just go ahead and redeem it. I'm unwilling. It's too much baggage for me. Too much baggage for me. And he doesn't want to take her in. She came with too much baggage. And I think that inside of this uh, inside the story, often I want to encourage you guys, as you read in the Bible, look for pictures of Jesus um, in the story. Sometimes you've got to look for pictures of not Jesus as well. So in this reluctant Redeemer, we see this is not how our Redeemer works. This is not how our Redeemer works. Sometimes we look or sometimes when we see a picture like this and we come across a picture like this, we realize this is not how Jesus works. See, each and every single one of us in this room, as I look out at you, I know you come with baggage. I know that because I come with baggage and I know that because humans come with baggage. There's a history that comes along with your story. There's mistakes you've made, regrets that you have, shame in your life as you look back over your life. And there's a lot of reasons why God, who knows everything about you, He has your portfolio, He has your your record, your, uh, your, your official record, your permanent record. He has that on file. He knows it front and back. And there's a lot of excuses He could make as to why He should not redeem you. He's got a lot of excuses. Maybe... God could say, "Hey, this guy is uh, this guy has such an addictive personality, he'll never get off the drugs, too much baggage." Maybe he says, "This lady is such a gossip, all she does is stir up trouble, and I don't want that attached to my name, too much baggage." All this guys all this guy wants to do is chase women, it's too much baggage. All he does is lie. She's just a control freak and messes up everything. Too much baggage, 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 baggage. That's what God could say about us and try to be reluctant in redeeming us. But that is not what our God does. He never looks at you and says that. As a matter of fact, he's, there's never been a single person on earth that he's looked at and said, I don't want to deal with them. They have too much baggage. God has never said that. Whatever you bring to the table in this relationship, whatever secret you can reveal to the Lord, he says, I can deal with that. I can handle that. It doesn't turn him away. And as a matter of fact, he not only says, I can deal with that. He also says, I can fix that. See, God loves us in our sin, but he also wants to love us out of that sin as well. That is our God, not this reluctant redeemer that's like, hey, that's just too much for me to handle. I don't want to deal with this person's baggage that comes along. Our God looks at us and says, yes, I will redeem you. And that moves us to this picture of Boaz, who's not a reluctant redeemer like this guy was. He is a ready redeemer. He is a ready redeemer. And we see that pick up uh, in in verse seven. We see that pick up in verse 7. And this Redeemer... uh, Let's read these verses and we'll we'll go back over them. So in verse 7, after this Redeemer has said, I don't want to redeem Ruth... Boaz says, okay, I will. In verse 7, it says this. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. That's super weird. It's so weird that the writer of Ruth had to explain it to his original audience, right? So this is so ancient that the people reading it didn't even know what was going on. So feel good if you're like, why is he taking off a shoe? The people that originally read this didn't understand it either. I don't exactly know why the shoe was a, a way of attesting or sealing a deal. But basically, if a deal was made, they'd do it in front of everybody, and the guy would take off a shoe, give it to the other person. I guess so that way later on when he said, Hey, that's my field. He said, No, look, dude, I've got your shoe. You can't have the field. It's mine, right? You gave me your boot. I, I don't know why it was like that. But the point is there. It's obvious. It's just a seal. It's just a proof That a redemption has taken place. So when Boaz redeems Ruth, he makes it final. It's sealed. Ruth's redemption is sealed. In front of all the people that were at that gate that day, when Boaz redeemed Ruth, the sandal was given, which meant the deal is done. It's over. Boaz has now redeemed Ruth and redeemed all of Elimelech's property. So Ruth's redemption is sealed. And then after that, Ruth's redemption is blessed. And this is a prayer that the, that the people around, um, that were standing around prayed about Ruth. And this is staggering. This is amazing what we see here. Let's look at this prayer. In verse 8, it says, And so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself and drew off his sandal. Verse 9, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are my witnesses this day. I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kileon and Malon. And Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the, his brothers. And from, the, and from the gate of his native place, you are my witnesses this day. And here's that prayer I spoke of. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman, speaking of Ruth, who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give this young woman. So we see this Ruth, this foreign lady. Remember, she's from Moab, this country that Israel did not like and would not want to hang out with. They say these amazing things of this foreign lady. They say, may she be like Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah were the wives of Jacob, um, who was renamed Israel. And they uh, had 12 sons between them. And these 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. So these guys are praying. And they're praying that Ruth would be kind of put on the Mount Rushmore of Israelite women. Like there's pretty much nobody greater than um, Rachel and Leah, maybe you could say Sarah, Abraham's wife, but these two ladies brought about the nation, the nation. And these, these people are praying, Hey, may Ruth be considered great, like the great women of our nation, like, uh, Rachel and Leah. Then he also, they also pray that may she be like, um, may your house be like Perez. And so that's another name that we're like, okay, what do we do with the name Perez there? Well, that was uh, Perez was born to Judah um, through Tamar in a very similar situation, a, a, a redemption situation. And so they're saying, hey, just like Perez came and had a great family from Judah and Tamar, may you have a great family from Judah and Tamar. But hidden within that little phrase Perez, or within that word Perez, when he says, may your family be like Perez, Perez's dad was Judah, and there's a promise that was made to Judah back in Genesis 49. This is interesting. Listen to this. This is what um, Jacob said to Judah, his son. He said this, Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, uh, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. Now, this is the interesting part. He says this to Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and he shall have the obedience of the peoples. So to Judah, this promise was made, you will have kings come from you. The scepter, the ruler's staff is always going to be in your hand, and the peoples will bow to you. And we're like, whoa. That is a royal promise. So after we see Boaz her, we see this reluctant redeemer. We've seen a ready redeemer. Now we're going to finally see this royal redemption. That brings us to this third part, this royal redemption. Because this prayer that was just prayed by these elders at the gate is going to come to fruition in ways that they had no clue what was going to happen. So we see this royal redemption picking up in verse 13. Let's read this. It says, and Bo, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, uh, then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in all of Israel. He shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of, of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and she became his nurse. So we see the, the culmination of this story. And when you read a story, any story, but especially a story in the Bible, you see the setting, you see this rising tension of uh, of something, and then you see this climax. Um, where the tension ends, and then in the resolution, you really see the moral of the story. And we're in that part. What was this story all about? What's the resolution from all of this? And we see several beautiful pictures here. First, we see that Ruth uh, is re- um, Ruth is, re- is redeemed and given a home and a family. Ruth is redeemed and given a home and a family. Remember, Ruth started out in this story as a foreigner, Then she moves from being a foreigner to being a servant. And then from being a servant to being a wife. We see this journey with Ruth going from being a foreigner to a servant and now to a wife. And remember Ruth's story. She'd been married to a man named Mahlon for 10 years and they never had children. Now let me tell you, when Whitney and I, we, we chose to have children later in life, okay? Um, so when we went to India, and we'd been married for about a year, and people would always ask us that question that every married couple gets asked, and what is it? When are you having kids? Now for the Indian people who have traditions that they have where, where they're not promised to have that child for a lifetime, right? A lot of times children die in infancy. Okay, so to have a child and have it early would be important. And they would always ask us, hey, why aren't you having kids? We're just, hey, we just don't want to have kids right now. But for them, it was like, you need to have kids now, man, uh, because it's important for them. It would have been just as important for Malon and Ruth to have kids. So they went 10 years without having a child. And we don't think it's because Ruth uh, chose not to have a child. It's because she couldn't. Ruth battled barrenness. Just like many of the women in the Bible battle barrenness. Because when we sinned, God promised, hey, it's going to be difficult to bear children for you. And I don't think that just means pain in childbirth. I think that also means it's hard to conceive for many women. We see God reversing this curse so many times in the Bible, from Sarah to to Rachel and Leah, and even to Ruth in this story. God providing a miraculous birth To a woman. He meets this deep desire that was in her, and she was able to have a family, not just have a family, but to have a child as well. So Ruth is redeemed. God gives Ruth a family. But second, we see that God gives Naomi a descendant. God gives Naomi a descendant. This woman who had had a husband and two boys and thought, man, I'm gonna have a great family from these two boys. Has no kids through these boys. She's left brokenhearted and empty at the beginning of this story, but by the end, her life is restored. The way the ladies of the town look at Naomi. Remember, they used to, she's told them, Hey, don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. But now the ladies are looking at her and saying, This boy that's been born to you, he's going to restore your life. And all you grandparents out there saying, yes, grand, grandkids are the best, right? Because now Naomi has a grandkid and her life is restored. But really that heartache, that brokenness, that sorrow that existed for Naomi has now been fixed and put back together. And we see that all through this, God was showing love to her. He restored her life through Ruth. And Ruth is even said to be better than seven sons in this story. Ruth has been more faithful to Naomi and cared for her than seven sons ever could. And inside Ruth, we get this picture of love. Because we often think of love as between a man and a woman, right? A romantic love. But there's love that exists that's just as beautiful. And Ruth is a picture of love to Naomi. This committed love that's one-sided, not looking to get something out of it. She was faithful to Naomi. And Naomi experienced that. Naomi was given a descendant. And if the story ended there, it would be awesome about how God is faithful to people who are faithful to him. God blessed Ruth, who was faithful in the midst of of tragedy. God blessed Naomi through Ruth, and Boaz was involved. It's it's an awesome picture right there, if it was a period and end of the story, the end, happily ever after. But this is where we need to go from looking at this really tight, small window and saying, Hey, these people were blessed, and that's great. But let's start to zoom out a little bit, because now we realize... Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, they were given a descendant. But inside of this, the nation of Israel was given a king. Read verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This David that was born to these people is the same David that we see in the Bible. We see that Ruth and Boaz are King David's great-grandparents. So we see this story is being told to the Israelites not just to give them a nice love story to enjoy on a Friday night, But this is the history of their king. This is where their king came from. It's the David that slayed Goliath and the David that would become king and defend Israel and fight for her behalf. This is the David that would give birth to the dream of building God a temple and give birth to the son who would build that temple uh, in Solomon. This story about Ruth and Boaz was really not about Ruth and Boaz at all. It was about the nation of Israel receiving the king that God had promised to them so when we when the Israelites would read this they would see in this time of injustice in the book of Judges when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes evil was rampant sin was everywhere but in the midst of all of that God was bringing about and working toward this toward bringing about the greatest king in the history of Israel for the Israelites King David was the best. He was the greatest of all time. And God was in the process of bringing that about in this story. So the book of Ruth told the nation of Israel to look back on what had happened so they could see God's sovereignty. See, God's sovereignty, meaning God's control of everything... A lot of times is the clearest when we look back on it. We can see God was doing something even when we could not see him. The book of Ruth told the nation of Israel, look back on the darkest part of their history when it seemed like God was not there at all and see that he was absolutely there working toward this greater end. And we can do the same thing. We look back on our history and we can see even in our darkest times, like like Naomi, God is at work to bring about something good for us. But the story gets even better from there. It's not just about Ruth and Naomi receiving a descendant and Boaz. It's not just about the nation of Israel receiving a king. We see that God gives Ruth and Naomi a descendant. God gives Israel a king, but God gives the world a savior. God gives the world a savior. Years and years and years from this moment, generations down the road, there's going to be a baby boy born to the descendant of David, and his name is going to be Jesus. Now you'll look on this page, on chapter 4, verse 18, you're going to see the genealogy of David, but we're not going to read that genealogy from here. I want you to take your Bible and go several books to the right and go to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew. Because as you turn there and we read that, you're going to realize that little genealogy that's right there at the end of Ruth, the author of Matthew, Matthew, copy and pasted that genealogy and put it as the first words in his book about Jesus. So we see in the book of Matthew chapter 1, it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, remember we said that, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of who? Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, there's our lady, and Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, the king, dot, 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 until we get down to verse 16, it says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. This little insignificant romance between an Israelite and a Moabite resulted in the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. This little insignificant picture of a, uh, of a man falling in love with a woman and redeeming her in the Old Testament brought about the greatest person in history. Jesus is that history-breaking, world-changing, future-shaping king who impacts not just the nation of Israel, but you today. Because in Jesus, the nations are brought in. This little picture of Ruth, this Moabite, this Gentile, this outsider being brought into the nation of Israel is the hope of all of us in this room. Nobody in here, I'm guessing, unless you can, maybe maybe you are, we're all Gentiles in here. I'm guessing none of us have Jewish descent Or if you do, you're at least not coming from a a close family. All of us are Gentiles in this room brought in to the family of God because of Jesus. The book of Ruth has everything to do with you. Because had had this little romance not taken place, Israel would never have received a king and we would have never received the Savior. Carrying on that promise that God had made in Genesis 3 about someone who would come along and crush the head of the snake. That promise that was made to Abraham that he would bless all nations through his children. That promise that was made to David that a king would always be on his throne. That promise is made fulfilled in Jesus. In Jesus. As we end this book of Ruth, I want to take us. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn to the book of Genesis. I want to read to you this statement that's made about Jesus at the end of his or at the at the end of history. This is what the book of Revelation looks forward to. It says this. Then I saw at the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written written within it and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open this scroll and break its seal? This scroll represents um, paying for uh, the wrath of God. In verse 3 it says, And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was able to open the scroll or to look on it. But the elders said, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. This lion of the tribe of Judah that came through Boaz and Ruth who, who produced David, this king is Jesus and he has conquered and he's able to accomplish everything that God set forth that needs to be accomplished. This Jesus has done it. And as we skip down and see what they continue to say about this lion of Judah, this lamb slain, it says this in verse 9 of chapter 5. It says, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, even commerce America. It doesn't say that, but that's what it means. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God that they shall reign on the earth. You see how even in this little story in the book of Ruth, we are wrapped up in it because our King Jesus comes from this relationship. And at the end of history, he is able to accomplish everything God called him to do and declare us right with God. And he builds and creates a people from every tribe and tongue and nation and that includes us today. So praise be to this God who is able to do that through the most insignificant parts of history. As we come to a close in the book, I want to just remind you just as we come to a close some truths that we've learned from this book that I want you to carry with you as you go throughout life. Number one is this. Would you dig into the corners of the Bible? There's lots of parts of the Bible that we think are irrelevant, insignificant, and not meaningful to us. The book of Ruth is probably in that category for many of us, right? Or at least it was. It's four chapters in the Old Testament. I've never read it. I don't really want to read it. But I hope by the end of this series, you've seen that even the nooks and crannies of the Bible have amazing truths for you to hear and understand that completely apply to your life. Not just, here's a principle of what you can live your life by, but no, if this event hadn't happened, your life would be different. Would you dig into the corners of your Bible? Second, remember this, God is always at work Even in the darkest parts of history or in the darkest parts of your life, God is behind the scenes working out everything according to his purposes. Third, God is always showing us that hesed love, that that one-sided faithful love. This one-sided forever love. When it seems dark, look around you. Don't let your sorrow blind you. Don't let your bitterness blind you. Look around at all the good that God is doing for you. Fourth, God is always seeking to redeem those who trust in him. You don't have a reluctant redeemer. You have a redeemer who's ready to take you in. And then finally, God has always been organizing and orchestrating history in order to bring in the nations into his family. And those nations include you on this side of the world. Thousands and thousands of miles away from Israel, thousands of years removed from Ruth and Boaz. God was orchestrating all this, that he might redeem a people for himself, which includes us. Now, This morning, if you're not part of those people, if you think, man, I'm hearing this great story of redemption, and I feel like, man, I have not been redeemed by the Lord. I want to be in relationship with him. I want to have Jesus as my king Today can be that day when you trust in him, turn from your sins and trust in him and be brought into this story, this amazing story of God's redeeming love for his people. If that would be you, come talk to me, either up here um, during our, our response time or in the back, you can always talk to me. I would love to talk to you more about what it means to be a part of the family of God. With all that being said, let's go and pray to this God who's the redeemer of nations and pray to him.